I am so excited and so grateful for Dr. Pervy Parikh to be with us. I am such a fan. For those who don't know Dr. Parikh, the list goes on. She's <laughs> clinical professor at NYU School of Medicine, a researcher in the COVID-19 vaccine trials. Actually, I first saw you in Dr. Ali Hader's live stream where oh, you had nice. the live about the COVID-19 vaccine, which went really viral yeah, around was, here. You know, it's so funny. It went so viral that our chief of infectious disease at NYU, it like made it to him somehow. Oh, like, really? <laughs> yeah, it went, it made it through all of the people in our like vaccine center too. Wow, so I came, to, I came in and they're all like, we saw you on Instagram. I'm like, you did? You know? Every IG story that was passing through, it was that video for that whole week. I'm like, <laughs> this so is amazing. <laughs> I'm like, who are these? And since then, I am so grateful, Dr. Purvi Parikh. I know you are so busy. And Dr. Parikh is also seen in all of the biggest news channels here in New York, in the nation, actually. So I guess let's just start out with your journey to medicine. How did it start? Were you the only one in your family? Right, right. So it's funny because both of my parents are physicians. Actually, they right. met in medical school. So we have a lot of doctors in our family. So right. I grew up like seeing both the pros and the cons of medicine. Yeah. Like I always joke, like I was always the last kid picked up from school every day because my parents <laughs> were always working or, you know, I'd be doing homework in like the PACU, the OR. Yeah. So I kind of saw that aspect of it. So it was always in the back of my mind. But like I was really into like debate and speech. So I was mm. on like the debate team in high school, college. So I almost became a lawyer. Wow. <laughs> and so, yeah, and so I was actually a political science major and I was pre-med and I was going wow. back and forth. But then ultimately I was like, you know, the best way you can advocate for people is through their health, you know? And yes. I feel like I've found a way to combine both interests because as you know, I'm very like vocal now. About I know, I know, I know. And for those who don't know, I just wanted to put it out there because it's so important. Dr. Pervy and I are birthday twins. Yes. We're both May 9, both Tauruses. So I saw her post one day and I was like, I am your birthday twin. <laughs> we, That's we are so birthday crazy. Twins. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a great day to be born. <laughs> it's a great day to be born. I believe so. I agree with you. So, so allergy and immunology, how did you get into this specialty? Because from what I've been hearing is there's so many people who go into medical school thinking, oh, I want to be a pediatrician. I want to be this. And then they change their mind once they start rotations in right. medical school. So how did you end up in allergy and immunology? Yeah. No, I'm glad you're asking because I think a lot of people aren't exposed to it at, at all. Mm -hmm. Like in, in medical school, res even in residency, most of my mm -hmm. co residents I think have no idea what I do. But um, so I went into medical school, like I, I was one of those people that liked everything. And I mm -hmm. then ultimately decided I wanted to do internal medicine because I had some amazing teachers and like it covers so many different specialties. And even then I wasn't sure I wanted to do allergy and immunology. Like I loved mm -hmm. my cardiology rotation, my CICU. I was at Cleveland Clinic. So everyone was in love with yeah. cardiology. I really liked pulmonary critical care. There's like, I like almost everything. everything. That I rotated there. Yeah. But then intern year. I uh, took care of a patient that had common variable immune deficiency, which mm -hmm. is this uh, super rare immune deficiency. It's not super rare, actually. It's more common than you think it is, but it's an immune deficiency. And to me, it was rare. I had never even heard of it. And his allergist and immunologist would be coming in to see him every day and, and advise the team how to proceed, you know? So there's all these people that are born without functioning immune systems. So I was like, oh, I, was like, I didn't realize that an allergist and immunologist did this, you know? Because backstory, my father is also an allergist and immunologist. Wow. So 
I had no idea what he did my whole life, you know? When you interact with your dad, you know, he, he basically yeah. is like parenting, right? You don't really yeah. talk about the specialties. So I, I had no clue what he did. And, and he did it through pediatrics. So in my mind, I thought it was a pediatric only specialty. But mm. yeah, so I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I wasn't even thinking about rotating it. So I was like, let me rotate in this field, see what else they do. And it, I found it very interesting because you treat all types of allergies, yeah. asthma, they're on the rise, you know, and now so many things are immune mediated in every yeah, field. Yeah. I still get, get to do, you know, cardiology, I still get to do pulmonary yeah. and my other interests. And interestingly enough, like around the time I was in Cleveland, the H1N1 pandemic broke out and it wasn't at this scale by any means, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it was cool. That was my first insight into these vaccine trials. Mm -hmm. Dr. Fauci was again leading the charge. He's an allergist and immunologist. So I was yeah. like, wow, I'm like, they do this too. So I just <laughs> liked it. I just thought it was a really diverse field because mm -hmm. there's so much you can do and you see kids and adults. Yeah. It's not as stressful on you, on you, mm. meaning like nights and weekends are not as yeah. arduous as some yeah. of the other fields. So, so that's how but, I ended up here. <laughs> amazing. But what's arduous for sure is the whole medical process. Of right. The whole pre-med to medical school, residency, all the financial aspects, right. all the time spent in training. What I've always liked asking physicians who are where they are now is given the arduous and long timeline of medicine, do you have any regrets? Um, no, I, I don't actually, because yes, it takes a very long time, but I think there's a reason for that, right? We're, mm. we're taking care of people's lives. So mm. you want to make sure you're best prepared to do that, right? Because think about if it was your loved one, right? You'd want yeah. someone who was very well trained to do so. But the reason why there's no regrets is because even though it's very hard, you know, there's high levels of burnout. Mm. I know another physician colleague that originally just killed themselves, actually. Mm. So it's very sad. It's actually, I think, one of the most rewarding fields. And this is why I ultimately chose it over law because when you can restore someone's health right and their well-being there's nothing like it you know it's, it's yeah. extremely rewarding and and you get to be with people in their most vulnerable time but also in your most vulnerable time yeah, like yeah, I think yeah. people have a misconception of doctors from TV and stuff but you know we're just as vulnerable as our patients yeah. we realize how serious it is <laughs> we have some like lives in our hands so, so I don't know for all those reasons I think there's no uh, profession like it you know and yeah, I, and I have it. no regrets <laughs> I agree and I it's agree. never boring <laughs> I, for sure I can imagine and speaking of never boring I can just imagine the amount of things that you see at work whether it's in the unit or in the clinic what I would like to ask is what's the bread and butter of being an allergist and immunologist like what's yeah. the day-to-day -day like right our field is mostly an outpatient based field but we mm. do see patients in the hospital so we'll get consulted if someone had you know an anaphylactic reaction or um, you know severe allergy they can be life-threatening and uh, again for those immune patients whether they have like immune deficiency or autoimmune disease but majority of the time majority of the people we see is out of the hospital and the bread and butter things are are, you know, we treat allergies. So yes, the itchy eyes, stuffy nose, we treat asthma, because that's the most common trigger is, is allergy, the most common cause of mm -hmm. asthma is allergy. So we're actually considered asthma specialists, ourselves, yeah, yeah. and our pulmonary colleagues are the mm -hmm. asthma specialists. And then again, there's 300 interesting immune system problems called primary immune deficiencies, mm -hmm. which actually are very common, they're like more common than things like multiple sclerosis and lupus, but they're very, oh, very wow. underdiagnosed. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of fun being the one that kind of ties it together. Yeah. Yeah. for these patients because they've been going through so much for so long so they said the average patient has a decade delay in their diagnosis you know oh, you wow. can imagine decade. what could go wrong right yeah. the immune system's not working in that decade yeah. so yeah so that's why I like it it's just very diverse and then we see both pediatrics and adults so and adults. yeah so you can do this specialty either through
through internal medicine. So you do internal medicine residency mm -hmm. or through pediatrics. When you train as a fellow, you see both, you know? So I was trained yeah. in internal medicine. Uh, one of my co-fellows was pediatric, but then we learn how to manage, you know, people of all ages. So, the, yeah. so it's kind of interesting. You see people from the womb to the tomb, basically, <laughs> like every age group. For sure. <laughs> That's amazing. It's just interesting how you could see an array of people in all ages. It sounds quite overwhelming, but I guess it all goes back to the thing we were talking about, how long it takes to get there, you know. So I do have questions that people have submitted beforehand. And one of the questions, given that we're talking about allergies right now, is what is the weirdest or the rarest allergy that you have encountered so far? Yeah, the rarest, um, which I think there's only like 50 or there's less than 100 cases in the world or in the US is uh, you can actually become allergic to your own hormones, basically to progesterone. So the way that it happens is that if you take exogenous or oral progesterone, let's say through like a birth control tablet or another medication, your immune system actually develops like antibodies against it. And it's actually wow. called autoimmune progesterone. It can be just a rash like dermatitis. Mm -hmm. Some people get like anaphylaxis though. So wow. it's really debilitating because even if you, you know, are not no longer on birth control, you start mm -hmm. reacting to your own hormone. You're having like allergic reactions to yourself <laughs> yeah. and anaphylaxis to yourself. So that I think is, is the rarest thing and the weirdest thing that I've seen. And wow. it can be very difficult to manage because, yeah, for sure. you know, <laughs> you can't or take to find, hormones I guess. out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to find, you can't really find, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, but there's a, there's a lot of very weird allergies out there. <laughs> yeah, people were sending me things like someone is allergic to water, someone is allergic mm -hmm. to this or to that. Yes. And what do you think is the best approach to allergies? Can you really tolerate allergies? Like, can you become desensitized to it? Because I know in one live you were talking about like an exposure therapy mm -hmm. kind of thing to an allergen. Right, that's a great question. Yeah, so that's like the main tool that we have to make people become less allergic or become tolerant, like you said. So we do it mostly all the time, every day for environmental allergies, you know, so mm. pollen, dust, mold, animal dander. And it's basically you're taking small increasing doses of the allergen mm. and basically mm -hmm. training your immune system to stop reacting as strongly. And for some people are lucky over time, their allergy gets so much less severe that they barely feel anything or they don't need medication yeah. anymore. And it's huge for people who suffer from asthma that's triggered yeah. by those allergens or mm -hmm. eczema because all of mm -hmm. those conditions can even clear up significantly. Yeah. So wow. it's great because long run, less medication use, better control, and you know, can't live in a bubble, right? So yeah. it's very helpful from that standpoint. Yeah. But then we also desensitize the medication. So let's say someone mm -hmm. becomes allergic to a medicine they need to live, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. a cardiac patient needs aspirin yeah. or a mm -hmm. chemo um, therapy for a cancer patient. We can actually desensitize them to that, which because oh, they wow. need that life-saving medication. You know, that desensitization doesn't last as long as the one mm. for pollen and dust mites mm -hmm. and those things. But mm -hmm. And the new exciting thing is finally the FDA has approved the very first peanut desensitization in the last two years. As up to now, you know, food allergies, life-threatening, right? And yeah. we didn't have anything for it. So these people are living in fear. All they can yeah. do is avoid the food and carry their EpiPen. But hopefully yeah. this is the start of treatments now, new treatments yeah. for food allergies. So yeah. That is really great hope to a lot of people who can't yes. eat a certain food because of right. their allergies to certain things. Wow. Right, right. And exactly. in relation to food, actually I was flooded with questions about lactose intolerance and mm -hmm. gluten-free stuff. Right. Is there a 
fine line between intolerance versus sensitivity versus allergy or are these all the same thing? Yeah, that's actually a very good question. I'm glad you asked. So an allergy is when your immune system is involved. That is important to differentiate which it is because the allergy is the one that can become life-threatening, you mm-hmm. know? So if you have true allergy to something where your immune system is hypersensitive to it, you really have to stay away because yeah. otherwise it can kill you. Yeah. But like an intolerance or a sensitivity is not dangerous, you know, because one, mm-hmm. your immune system is not involved and it's more like a Mm -hmm. side effect to a food you know Mm -hmm. what I mean rather than your body rejecting it if that makes sense so like for example like carbohydrates or gluten right they make everybody feel like very tired and heavy and you know things like that but some people Mm -hmm. feel it more so than others you know so Mm -hmm. they might be intolerant and lactose intolerance is also a little different in that basically you're you're lacking the enzyme or the enzyme is malfunctioning you know so it's not really an allergy but they all get lumped together you know and I think it's important to distinguish which one you have you know because they're all managed very differently you know i agree thank you so much that is info from the expert herself (laughs) and now let's move on to the star of the show the biggest news of the year (laughs) COVID-19 vaccine for which you were a researcher for so Dr. Parikh do we really have a 5G microchip in our body right now (laughs) no (laughs) no I wish I had it in my phone you know because my phone is behind but there's no microchip at all I can guarantee you that (laughs) we've always known groups of like anti-vaxxers even Mm -hmm. in the flu vaccine but I feel like specifically for COVID-19 vaccine it was more so a vaccine hesitancy mm-hmm. versus anti-vaccine and being the researcher being the ones who's been in the phases and saw how the process went can you give us just a gist of really what the COVID-19 vaccine is about there's a lot of information in the internet someone websites like WebMD where people outside of healthcare and science might not understand certain words right, mechanisms right. of the vaccine yeah so you know basically there's two types that are approved right now mm-hmm. in the U.S. and one is that that mRNA platform and the best way I I can describe it, I'm stealing it from uh, an ex-CDC director, is that it's like a Snapchat message for mm-hmm. your immune system, right? It, it gives information or instructions mm-hmm. on how to mount immunity, uh, how to make mm-hmm. that spike protein, which will then make your body make antibodies and T-cells without actually making you sick with the virus. Mm-hmm. So I think it's genius, and I think this is probably going to be the vaccine yeah. of the future, you know, because when yeah. you take the old types of vaccines, is like you take a virus, mm-hmm. you have to inactivate it or make it mm-hmm. safe. It takes forever, you know? Yeah. So this you're we're able to manufacture quickly, you know, the other type is something called an adenovirus vector. So they basically take the common cold virus, right, that's been inactivated, Mm -hmm. so we're not making you sick. And then it's bringing that information or that recipe into your immune system that way. So Mm -hmm. it's a little bit different way to deliver kind of the same Mm -hmm. result. One is with the messenger RNA and one is with that adenovirus vector. But just to be clear, even the mRNA vaccine, people have been working on it for 30 years you know, like long time ago. And and the same thing with the adenovirus vector, we already have a vaccine, uh, the Ebola one. Mm -hmm. And that also was like decades and decades of development. So they're not really as new or rushed as people think they are. Yeah, I think it's understandable regarding how apprehensive people may feel regarding the vaccine, given that the pandemic came out just last year and a few months after we already had the vaccine. But I love how you noted, Doc, that we've already been researching these vaccines for years. Like I know we've been using mRNA vaccines for like Z or MERS and other coronaviruses that we have because COVID-19 is not the only coronavirus that's right. in the exactly. world. Exactly, exactly. 
So it's almost like we had, you know, like an outline already, yeah. you know, or blueprint. So yeah. it's not really that rushed if you think about it. A lot of these ideas even predate, you know, both of us. So yeah. it's been around yeah. for years. <laughs> <laughs> and how much do you trust the safety of these vaccines? Yeah. Given those no, information that you said. Yeah, that's, I know, a huge concern. So uh, I do trust the safety, you know, because we're in a pandemic, but, you know, and I know there was a, a rush to get things out, but none mm. of the safety checks were compromised. If anything, you know, just inefficiencies, like, corners were cut, meaning we didn't waste time with one visit, having someone sign consent and bring them back mm -hmm. weeks later. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing is I've seen how the FDA, you know, CDC speaks up when they feel that safety is compromised. Yeah. So for example, with AstraZeneca in September, mm -hmm. the US conducted their own very thorough investigation before they would let trials resume because there was a yeah. case of transverse myelitis, whereas all mm -hmm. over the world, they actually resumed the trials like four weeks before we did, you know? So mm -hmm. I was like, wow, the US is doing a good job of yeah. doing their own thorough investigation and then even now the NIH called out AstraZeneca just yeah. two weeks ago they said wait you're cherry picking data you're not <laughs> including these cases in February so I think it just shows that it works you know with the checks and balances that and people are being held accountable and and the best proof is like personal story like I wouldn't have taken yeah. it if I thought it was unsafe at all <laughs> yeah that's why I always tell people so many healthcare professionals especially specialists of their field believe in this vaccine and its safety right and, and, and whatever we're all taking it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Also, I wanted to ask, given that we have different vaccines now, like Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca as well, I think a big question people have in mind is, which is the best one to take and why? Or do I just take whatever's available to me at this point? Right. So the best one is what you can get the fastest. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the reason why is all three uh, will save your life. You know, they all pr prevent death 100%. Mm -hmm. They all prevent hospitalization 100%. Mm -hmm. That is key right especially like you remember the first three months of COVID in New York it was just death uh, and dying everywhere it was, it was devastating death and dying. yeah so that's the most important and I know people get hung up on efficacy that this is 70% effective this is 90 but you can't compare them that way and until yeah. they're all in the same exact trial at the same time yeah. in the same place mm -hmm. that's the only way to know you know because Moderna and Pfizer they wrapped up their results yeah. before even the variants were out yeah. so yeah. if you study them now against Johnson & Johnson it might be very similar yeah. No, yeah, so I, I, I would definitely take any that are offered to you. They're all excellent vaccines. Yeah, and um, someone is asking, how do we communicate regarding the hesitancy towards these vaccines, which is a very important question. Yeah, and the biggest thing that I found to be helpful is mostly listening to what people's mm -hmm. concerns are, because I think majority of people are not anti-vaxxers or just yeah. on the fence, you know, yeah. uh, and they do believe in science. So I think mm -hmm. they just, once you hear someone out about their concerns and address it, I've found that those one-on-one -on -one conversations have changed a lot of mine. So mm -hmm. that I think has done far more than like any social media thing yeah. or any mm -hmm. media thing, because then you actually have a chance to like have a dialogue with someone. Yeah. And I think once people yeah. feel their concerns are addressed, most people yeah. are actually okay with it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of ways to explain these things that people right. have regarding the concerns regarding the vaccines. And really, it's all about evidence-based data. And right. I think a lot of people are also forgetting that as we're trying to fight this virus, it's still happening at the same time. It's like yeah. we're learning as it goes. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, and I think people forget that, you know. <laughs> and a big question also that came upon my messages was, if I already had COVID and I obviously have antibodies against it, should I still get the vaccine? Or should there be a time interval that I should wait before someone gets it? Yeah, that's a great question. So yes, you should still get it. And the reason is that the immunity from natural infection is so variable. 
I even have patients that had antibodies in June that no longer do actually. Yeah. So we don't know who will hold on to their antibodies, who won't. Also, we found that the vaccines actually give better immunity and stronger, long-lasting immunity compared to the natural infection. So mm -hmm. we still recommend it. In the US, we say you can get it as soon as you feel well or back to normal. Yeah. Other countries are waiting, making people wait 90 days, but that's more just because I think of a supply issue. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. The only reason you'd have to wait 90 days here is if you received one of those monoclonal antibodies mm. as part of your treatment. Yeah. Then it's a good idea to space it out. But otherwise, if you're feeling well or back to normal, you should get vaccinated. Absolutely. Yeah. A big question. Ever since <laughs> even the news of vaccines came out, we're long-term effects. What is the idea for long-term effect? And is it measured in like months, in years, in decades? And do we expect or are you scared of long-term effects from these vaccines? The majority of long-term effects from vaccines happen fairly quickly. Mm. So most happen the same day or within hours or minutes, right? Yeah. And even in extreme cases, it might be a week later or two weeks later. So we already have over six months plus of data, you know? So those events that may happen like years down the line, nobody mm -hmm. knows. I'm, I'm not psychic, but it's yeah. very, very unlikely. But what people need to remember is the long-term effects of COVID-19 are far more yeah. devastating, you know? I mean, you, you probably see it too every day, like people mm -hmm. who are completely healthy on dialysis. Yeah suffering yeah. from stroke. Like these are things that don't go away easily. So yeah. I think people need to remember what has worse long-term effects, you know? Yeah. I would rather take my chances on a vaccine with a very unlikely long-term effect than COVID, which almost everyone, majority of COVID patients have some symptoms six yeah. months later, nine months later, and it's not yeah. mild, it's very debilitating. And a big question also people have were, if I have allergies to certain medications or let's say dye or penicillin, mm -hmm. um, would it be okay for them to get the vaccine? Yeah, you know, I get asked this every day as an mm -hmm. allergist. So for the most yeah. part, yes. So very severe allergic patients have received the vaccine safely. The only time you should avoid it is if you're allergic to one of the ingredients in the vaccine itself. Mm -hmm. So for Moderna and Pfizer, polyethylene glycol is considered one of the ones that might be a trigger. And for Johnson & Johnson, it's something called polysorbate 80. Mm -hmm. But again, these are two compounds that are in so many things. You know, yeah. they're in Miralax and toothpaste yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and polysorbates and the flu shot and hepatitis yeah. shot, you know, so yeah. probably if you don't know you're allergic to those things, you're not because we all yeah. interact with it on a daily basis, you know. Thank you so much, Dr. Parikh. And that's the very last question, vaccine and pregnancy and infertility. Yes. Yeah. From the expert herself, please clear the air on this. <laughs> right. Yeah. So just to clear the air, one, the vaccine does not cause infertility. And I can tell you that's true because women who got the vaccine when they were not pregnant are now pregnant. So if it causes infertility, that could not have happened. <laughs> yeah. So that and also just from a scientific standpoint, there's no mechanism that makes sense. Like I said, that mRNA really degrades very fast from your mm -hmm. body. The half-life is about one week. Yeah. So it clears out of your system very quickly. But, you know, women have gotten pregnant that were in our trials who were not pregnant before. So it definitely does not affect it. And then for pregnancy, we are recommending it because pregnancy is a high-risk condition. If you're pregnant and you get COVID-19, you are at very high risk of, one, losing your own life yeah. or your baby's life. Yeah. Not to mention all the other complications that come with the COVID patient. So mm -hmm. I know in Detroit, they have to do a lung transplant yeah. and a healthy yeah. pregnant woman yeah, in the 30s. Yeah, so that, that, that's crazy. So to yeah. me, it would make much more sense to get the vaccine, protect 
just you and your baby because now there's two lives at stake. Another benefit too is that we've now found that the baby comes out immune, you know, for yeah. pregnant women who got the shot. So that's, yeah. that's great. You know, it's like two for one. And then we now have data with pregnant women yeah. that have been vaccinated. I think it's over 20,000 now. Yep. And there was no increased preterm labor, no miscarriages, no eclampsia, preeclampsia. So mm -hmm. it's all very good news, you know. And then again, I always say personal experience. I think people like to hear that I'm practicing what I'm preaching, but like yeah. I'm a childbearing yeah. age. Yeah. I'm hoping to start a family soon. And mm. I got the vaccine because I want yeah. to be protected <laughs> should yeah. I get pregnant. So yeah. again, if any of that was even 1% true, I personally would not have gotten it. So yeah. for what it's worth to other people. Yeah. And the AstraZeneca and the thrombosis issue. Um, what can oh, you say about okay. that, given that you were in the research for AstraZeneca? Yeah. So actually, it's, it's extremely rare. And I know today, mm -hmm. the European Union kind of put out a statement that they think that there might be a link. But mm -hmm. even with that link, it's like such a rare link. So basically, it was mm -hmm. 37 cases they found of thrombosis out of 17 million that they had vaccinated. Mm -hmm. But again, I, I like to give people perspective. If you're hospitalized with COVID-19, one in 20 <laughs> of those people get yeah. the clots. Again, yeah. it's very common. And even if you're recovering at home, one in 100 get it. So that's extremely mm -hmm. like more and more common, yeah. you know? So again, I still think it's a good vaccine. I mean, we've been running that trial since September and yeah. we actually haven't seen any clots, any really, yeah. any serious side effects. Granted, yeah. some people got placebo, some got the real one, yeah. but people are doing very well. So, so even with that link, uh, yeah. I would still take it because again, yeah. <laughs> you're much more likely to get a blood clot uh, yeah. with the real virus. You know? yeah. and, and also a small group of that is not really considered even a correlation yet until right. it reaches a certain percentage of within the millions of right. people who have right. gotten the shot so far. Yeah. And, and we don't even know how it's possible. We don't have the yeah. mechanism. We have some theories, yeah. you know, that it, yeah. it might be similar to this heparin induced blood clot that forms. Yeah. But again, there's no heparin in the shot. So we don't yeah. know really why it could be happening. So uh, again, in the grand scheme of things, it's still extremely rare. And even those European researchers themselves said the benefit of the vaccine still outweighs the risk because mm -hmm. it's so rare. I feel like also everything in medicine is a risk-benefit analysis. And in our case, for the COVID-19 vaccine, the benefits outweigh the risks that have been posed so yeah. far. And I feel like people also tend to extrapolate data from <laughs> what we have so far as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's a great shot. And again, even yeah. if it's not approved here, but if you're offered that when it is approved here or elsewhere, it's still worth taking because it will save your life. And as a final word from you, Dr. Perry, do you think that the COVID-19 vaccine is really our hope for? ending this COVID-19 battle. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think yeah. it's the only hope because um, in the history of mankind, there's been no infection that's reached herd immunity without a vaccine, you know? So yeah. I don't really see any other way forward, especially with these new variants coming out. Mm -hmm. It's even more important we get vaccinated because yeah. the faster we vaccinate people, the less likely there'll be variants, less likely yeah. there'll be surges. I mean, all of us want to get back to normal, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we all love seeing our friends. We all love traveling. We all love all of the above, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Farid, thank you so much for all of the work you've been doing, spreading all of this up to date and evidence based information, not just about the vaccine, but in medicine in general. And thank you for taking the time to speak with us tonight. And thank you for giving me time as well. Thank you so much. You told me that anything for a co tourist. So, yeah, it's <laughs> May 9th. <laughs> May 9th. I mean, is there any better it's day? Fate. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's Dr. Farid, thank you so much. If there's anything else that you would like to say to everyone, tonight um no that's it and and you know if you don't believe me uh darth vader over here also <laughs> says to get the vaccine <laughs>
<laughs> that's, uh, that, it. That's, that's my husband's. I promised I would show it on. <laughs> I was like, I'm not showing that on TV, but I'll show it on Instagram Live. <laughs> I'm going to screenshot it. He's and like, there's so the many Star, Star Wars fans. So Darth Vader. I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> At this point, we're going to have 100% um, herd immunity because of Darth Vader. Everyone's going to get the vaccine. <laughs> hey, if they don't want to listen to me, they can listen to him. <laughs> no, listen to Thank you so much, Dr. Farik. Have a Thank great you. night. Thanks Thank so you. much.